Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Rolling Kills Nashville campus. My name is Nick Allen, and I'm privileged to get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. First service, um, we had something really special to celebrate today. Um, as one of our young adults, um, Michael Elizabeth McQuillan was baptized, and uh, we got to celebrate that with her. She probably loved the fact that I just called her one of our young adults um, this morning as she stepped into those waters, publicly declaring um, the faith that lives in her life through Jesus. And it was a bonus for me because I love getting into those waters. It's not just a chance to wear swim trunks on a Sunday morning, um, but it's just a chance to get to see somebody take a next step in their faith journey with Jesus. And so whatever your next step is, whether it's joining this local body, participating in a community group that we talked about earlier, taking a, a, a public declaration moment like baptism to declare, or finding a place to serve, uh, we would love to help you do just that. We are, as a church, celebrating 20 years in existence, not specifically this campus, but Rolling Hills as a whole, which began in Franklin. We opened a campus in Nolensville. This campus here in Nashville opened a campus in Columbia, and now a second Nashville campus over in Haywood Hills is now open, and we're thrilled to get to celebrate 20 years together. I love what I get to do, particularly in the summer, because it typically affords me an opportunity to be on mission. For all 20 years in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church, there has been an emphasis on mission and a chance for people to go to the nations to express the goodness of God in different contexts. And I've been privileged over the last seven years to be able to go to Brazil and participate in a pastor's conference. This is um, a fantastic picture that I was able to take this July with a couple of really special people. Um, the lady in the middle with the most feathers, I mean the one who clearly is in charge of this photo, um, is a chief who last year we met in 2022 as she came to the pastor's conference for the first time. The most amazing thing happened. Pastor Esdras, who we've known for years, was probably on the brink of throwing in the towel and just saying, okay, I pastored for a long time and now I'm done. Ministry is hard. And, and there have been countless people through the years in lots of different contexts who have come to a stopping point. And he was praying whether or not that would be his timeline. And God renewed his energy and renewed the opportunity for him to go to brand new villages that had never been reached. And he encountered this particular chief who gave her life to Christ and came with him to the following pastor's conference. Now, she didn't come alone because speaking her indigenous language only, she needed a translator to come and help her read and write the Portuguese that was going to be presented at that conference. On the last night that we were there in 2022, 
I remember this big ruckus going over in the corner and obviously not knowing what they're talking about and why they're celebrating. We make our way over and say, hey, what's so exciting? The translator that they brought just to help her navigate the notes had given her life to Jesus Christ. What a mind-blowing moment. So she comes back this year, and not alone. She brings two other chiefs from the community and the surrounding villages because they've now given their lives to Christ, and they are leaders in their community sharing the gospel. It's a privilege to get to be there and see the things through Justice and Mercy International that God is on the move doing amazing answers to prayers. This year, I got to meet an incredible couple. This is Pastor Israel and his wife, Elani. I never feel as tall as I do when I go to Brazil. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? I think they think that I'm part of the NBA. I have no idea. (laughs) We sit down in these one-on-one interviews with the pastors and pastors' wives who come, and their story, I could fill up this entire morning message just talking about the amazing things that God has done to put them together as a couple, to bless them with incredible children, to lead them in their community. And they share with me that they're thrilled because in just a couple of weeks after the pastor's conference that I was there at the beginning of July, they were going to have a team from JMA actually come to their village. And I started to think, okay, is this is this possibly the team that my daughters, my high school daughters, are going to be on, on a boat going from village to village up and down the Amazon? We verify the dates, and we find out, in fact, that it is. And so just a couple of weeks later, my girls got to go and have the exact same blessing that I did, being poured into taking medical resources, going and doing vacation Bible school, and providing food bags and opportunities for That was one thing. Let me tell you who's the most blessed people in this picture. Pastor Israel would say that it's him and his family and his community, but my girls would say, hands down, it's them. Because something is happening. And this is an answer to a prayer that Susan and I have prayed since they were little, that God would use them in missions. And it's not only an answered prayer for us, it's an answered prayer for them that JMI would continue coming would continue resourcing, would continue providing opportunities for the gospel to be spread. Today, as we talk about this whole idea of God being able to do far more than we think, what we understand that to be is a constant answer to the prayers that people pray. For all 20 years in existence in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church, Ephesians chapter 3 has been an umbrella for everything that we've thought, everything that we've said, everything that we've done, everything that we've believed God for. It says now to him. And last week, if you weren't able to tune in as we started this series, Pastor Jeff, our lead pastor of all the campuses from Franklin, actually delivered a message to all the campuses that we got to tune into. And it's this idea of it being all about him. It's now to him, not us. It's only God. He's who does it. He's who we look to. He's who we trust. It's him. And the part that we zero in on this week is the idea of him being able. And him being able is far more than we think it is. He's able to do immeasurably more. More than we can ask. And y'all, I have a wild imagination. Like there is no limit to the things that I can think up. And what we have to understand is that beyond anything that I can think, anything that I can ask for, anything that I can imagine, God is able to do immeasurably more than that according to what? His power. It's his power, not mine, that's at work within us. It's not up to us. And that is such a unique blessing that we don't have to let sit down and have all of it land on our shoulders but on him and him alone it's his power that is at work within us so what to him be the glory 
To him be the glory inside the church. And that's not just this church. That's not just this campus. That's, that's all churches. That means that one day as we assemble together in heaven with all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all races, all ethnicities, all manner of people getting to proclaim and declare the goodness of God in a way that we've never heard it declared before. It means that people who grew up like we did in whatever denomination or avenue of faith that we've heard about our whole lives, the one that we think is more right than all of the others, we're going to be literally next door neighbors with people who have thought and believed and expressed their faith differently than us, declaring the worth and the praise and the glory of the exact same God who in Christ Jesus for all gener- forever and ever. Amen. Like it's all about him. And that's what we declare. And that's the verse that kind of lives over and above not only us as a church, but this particular series. And so we ask the question, it's in your notes this morning. You can jot down things if you want to as we go. What do we mean when we say God is able? What do we mean when we say that God is able? It's the Greek word dunamai, and it literally means power. And it's used in both contexts throughout the Greek New Testament, having power and not having power. There's this thing that God is able to do. There's this thing that you and I are not able to do. And it's used countless times in Scripture to indicate power. But just like any word that you and I use, just like any kind of context that we have in the world, like words have actual definitions, but then they have all of that culture and all of that context and all of that common understanding that may not be written down by Webster, but you and I know it when we say it. This word has that kind of connotation. It has that kind of power. It's not just ability. When we say that God is able, what we mean, he is the creator of all things. He's absolutely the creator of all things. And not only is he the creator of all things, he is supremely over all the things. Isaiah chapter 46, it's not on the screens or in your notes, but God is speaking. He says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. If you remember nothing about what scripture says along the way, just knowing that he alone is God, that he alone is savior, sustainer, life giver, he is God and there is no other. He says, I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say that my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. We serve a sovereign in control at all times, Lord. He's creator of all things. He's supremely over all the things, and he is always executing his plan in all the ways. I cannot wrap my mind around that because I'm a person who makes mistakes on the regular. I need do-overs all the time. Can you imagine just for a minute, like, like what is it like to never need a do-over? What is it like to never, ever be caught off guard? What is it like to never, ever make a mess up and have to start from scratch? Like, what is it like to never, ever be without information, to never, ever be without purpose, to never, ever be without the opportunity to make the right and wise and perfect decision in any given moment? That's our God who is always working together. His plan, as we discovered last series in the book of Romans, for the good, even the difficult parts of it, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's working out all things. He's always in control, always in charge, never needs a do-over. He's always got things under control. We never have to worry or ask questions about that because he is working out his plan. Ephesians 1 says, in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's nothing outside of it. 
He's never surprised. He never has to think, oh, I got to redo part of this plan. Like, the amount of power that that gives him and the amount of freedom that that offers us to know that we can't mess it up. I used to be a student pastor. I spent a lot of my career working with middle school and high school students, and I do remember those conversations about, about teen pregnancy and that fear of what had happened in life. There is never a moment, like God didn't wake up one day and be like, oh, another 15-year-old made a baby. I guess I gotta figure out a purpose for that kid. Like there was never a moment. And that means that that child who is dearly loved was not planned any less by God than my kids. Like there's a purpose and there's a meaning behind it and there's a plan that he is always in charge of. And I can't wrap my mind and the Bible is no, there's no shortage of examples of his ability. And every single one of those examples present throughout all of scripture is a necessary reminder for us. Romans chapter one says, for since the creation of the world, he's the creator of it. And he's made his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. They've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And then Paul writes to the church in Corinth the idea that these things happen. Everything that we read about in the Old Testament, everything that we understood about the life of the early church, everything happened as examples, and they were written down as warnings for us. You can call them gifts for us, because so, on the culmination of the ages has come. Everything happens for a reason, and we get to wrap our minds around the fact that the God who is able is in control of absolutely all of that. What does it mean that God's able? It means he's in control. He's sovereign. There's nothing that's happening that's outside of his plan and purpose for the way that the world is going to work out. So how do we approach such a marvelously able God? There's thousands of stories and we could have zeroed in on anyone but today we chose Joshua chapter 7 and it's a doozy Joshua chapter 10 and it's a doozy it says in verse 1 now Adonai Zedek the king of Jerusalem and it literally means king of righteousness heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho you know the walls came tumbling down and its king and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies you have to understand by going back a chapter what that means in this context like the reputation of Israel is preceding them they are moving into the promised land Moses died on the outside of it Joshua is now their de facto leader and he's been called to take Israel into the land that God had been promising to give them all the way back since Abraham they wandered around it for 40 years hoping that God would fulfill his promised to take them in. Now Joshua is the leader and it's happening. And one by one, they're ticking off the other nations and moving them out so that Israel can occupy the space. And other people are hearing about it. They know that Israel is coming for them. Next, so in chapter 9, the Gibeonites have a strategy. They decide that they would put on old, worn-out, ragged clothes. They decide that they would put out old, worn-out, ragged shoes. That they would take moldy, old bread and old worn out wineskins and they would come to the Israelites under the appearance of people who had traveled for a long long distance to come and be their servants humbly saying we've heard about all the things that you're doing we've come from a really long journey look how worn out our shoes are look how raggedy our clothes are we are so hungry our bread is now moldy like and Israel's like but you might even be our neighbors how do we know you're telling the truth and like no 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 look at our shoes look at our clothes look at our bread we've come from a long long distance we just want to side with you please make a treaty with us and so Israel makes a treaty with the Gibeonites only to find out that they are in fact one of their neighbors and that they have way more than the raggedy clothes and the worn out shoes that they had presented themselves with and yet they made a promise 
And so the other nations around have heard now not only about Israel's ability to knock out the other nations, they've also heard about the Gibeonites who sneakily went, deceived Israel, and made a treaty of their own. So he, Adonai Zedek, and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all of its men were good fighters. See, they didn't have to wear those raggedy shoes. Says, so Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me not attack the Israelites, but attack Gibeon. He said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. Now it's five nations against Gibeon who has made a treaty under deception with Israel. They moved up with all their troops and took positions against Gibeon and attacked it. So the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, that's their headquarters, do not abandon your servants, come up quickly and save us, help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Fulfill your part of the promise. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Some of your Bible translations say suddenly. After this moment where God says, don't be afraid. I've given them in your hand. Press on like normal. They do it immediately. It's this moment of, y'all, I'm delayed obedience sometimes. I'm like, oh, the Lord said that. Let me pray about it one more time. Oh, the Lord said that. Let me consult a few people that are wiser than me to make sure. And those aren't bad practices at all. But sometimes if God says move, you just need to move. And that's what Joshua did in this moment. The Bible says suddenly. So the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them, wow, more of them died from the hail. Y'all, that's heavy hail. Then were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, here's his prayer, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jeshar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to camp at Gilgal. Some Bible translations, they talk about the idea of suddenly marching all night. And the people were surprised by the fact that Joshua did that. I think in some ways it might have been easy to be surprised that he traveled all night because, you know, I'm not a nighttime traveler and that wouldn't work for me either. But what if, side note, they were surprised just by the fact that Israel kept their promise to the Gibeonites? And side note, not part of the message today, but something that we ought to zero in on, something that we ought to give more time and attention to. What if the people outside this room were positively surprised by the people inside this room? Because there's a perception outside this room that we might be deceptive, that we might be critical, that we might be hypocritical. So what if we surprised the world outside 
by keeping our promises? What if we surprised the world outside by living according to the character and nature of the one that we profess? What if the world who suspects that we would judge them encounters love instead? Like, what if there's a way that just by being immediately obedient to the word of the Lord and the message of Jesus Christ, that we surprise the people around us by the consistency of our character when they're expecting one thing, they go low, we go high, and instead provide them Jesus. So the NSB, when it talks about the idea of, of, of the Lord confounding the people and confusing the people, it's the word hopman, and it means to confuse, it means to, to move noisily, which is kind of like my 10-year-old. And then I'm reading the definition of the Hebrew word hachman. You gotta sometimes make it sound like there's a little in your throat when you say these words, hachman. And when I'm reading that word, I'm looking at the definition of it, and I hate it when a word uses another word in a definition that I don't know so that I have to look that up. And it says that it means move noisily, to confuse, discomfit. And I don't know the word discomfit, so I had to look that up. And it says to make someone feel uneasy or embarrassed. That's what was happening to all of this congression of five kings whenever Israel surprised them in the middle of the night to be there. Use the word vex in the definition, which I also had to look up. It says to make someone feel annoyed and frustrated and worried. So now all of this five king confederation of armies that want to attack Gibeon just to see if Israel would show up and they could beat both of them all at one time. Now they are confused. They're uneasy. They're embarrassed. They're annoyed. They're frustrated. They don't know what's happening. The Bible says that God did that on behalf of his people. And then he hurled large hail, like, like, like Israel's winning, and so they start retreating. Israel starts chasing them down, and more hailstones killed them than the swords of the Israelites. God is fulfilling his promise, and this is a picture, if we ever needed one, of God fighting his people's battles. Like, I, want, I want God to fight my battles that way. Maybe he does, but I just don't see it because I don't readily trust his promises and believe it. And so then you've got Joshua, who, who, whose army is now attacking the confederation of kings who are retreating. And he looks at the amount of daylight hours that they have left, and he thinks, well, this is not going to be enough to finish this battle, so I know what I'll do. I'll pray and ask the Lord to let the sun stand still and let the moon, so that we have enough daylight to finish the job. And I'm not going to throw any shade on Joshua or the Bible by saying, well, they didn't really know what they were talking about because they're talking about the sun standing still. And we know today in all of our wisdom because of explorers and because of scientists and because of telescopes and satellites that in fact, it's not the sun moving around us. It's us moving around the sun that the earth is rotating every single day on a tilt like an axis and that we're actually revolving around the sun. And the fact that we rotate, that's how we get day and night. And the fact that we revolve, that's how we get winter and summer. And, and I'm not looking at them going, well, here's where the Bible's wrong. They didn't actually know. The sun wasn't moving or standing still. It was the earth that, like, what a miracle. It wasn't the sun that stopped. It was the earth that quit moving in that moment. We still talk about sunsets and sunrises. Like, you go to the beach, I go to the beach. How many of you get up early one morning because you just want to see the sunrise and how pretty it is over the water? Or how many of you look at the other side and you're like, oh, I just want to see the sunset. Like, we still do that. And in spite of the fact that we know better today, in spite of the fact that we now know the truth and that, in fact, it's the earth that's rotating and the earth that's revolving, we still come at the sun with the idea that it rises and it sets. But beyond that, 
beyond looking at the miracle for what it was where they actually got this whole extra day. And Chinese historians, Incan, Aztecs, Egyptians, there's all Babylonians, Persians, there's all sorts of other cultures and other historical documents that recount the fact that there was a day at one point which was twice the natural length of any day that had ever been recorded. So somehow or another, we know that this is not a figurative story in Scripture that's supposed to prove a point to us, but this was an actual historical moment that happened for us. And in it, we find this understanding of how you and I can approach a God who is able to do that. The first way is in complete and total trust. We want to approach that God in complete and total trust. Why? Because he said, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And this wasn't the first time that God had made a promise to Joshua like that. It started back in Deuteronomy chapter 31 when Moses was on his deathbed and he calls Joshua over. He says, Moses summoned to Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, while other people were listening, he said, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to give their ancestors, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then you move over past Moses' death when Joshua is now the leader. And in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, God looks at him and he says, Have I not commanded you? Dude, I already told you this once. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I've been on Rolling Hills staff long enough to know a lot of families who had babies. And we always ask moms and dads, hey, hey, pick a life verse. Pick some sort of verse that you're going to emphasize in the life of your child, that you're going to pray over the life of your child. And there have been so many moments where parents picked Joshua 1.9 because they wanted that to be true about their child and their relationship. I want a kid who's bold. I want a kid who's courageous. I look at the world around us, and it's a difficult place, so I don't want my kid to be discouraged. I want them to always cling to and understand and know the promise that God will be with them. He will never leave them or forsake them, that God is here, and he's a God who can be trusted, but we have to always take note. Our trust in God cannot be contingent on anything. It's not, God, I will trust you if you do this. God, I will trust you if you respond like this. God, I will trust you if you answer like this. No, it's, God, I will trust you no matter what, because he can give us any manner of answer that he wants to give us when he responds. He can say, yes, score, that's what we want. He can also say no, and it's right, and it's good when he does. Or he can say, wait, you're not there yet, and I'm not ready to do this yet. And in any single one of those moments, we don't deny and stop trusting God. We continue to trust God no matter what his response is, and we do it with big, bold prayers. We're people who are willing to pray big, bold prayers. On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the presence of the Lord in Israel, Son, stand still. It was God who sent the hail. It was God who created the confusion for those enemy armies. And it was God who made the sun stand. Y'all, we have obstacles. Every one of us. I do. And what if in the presence of those obstacles, rooted in the promise that God has given us, we approached them in faith. How many of us have heard the expression work as if it all depends on you, 
but pray as if it all depends on God. It's probably cross-stitched in somebody's house. That's good, I get it, it's good. I, I understand the sentiment, but here's the deal. Even my work and how hard I do it is completely and totally dependent on God. There is no part of the equation where I bring anything to the table beyond what God has prescribed or allowed. There's no part of the story where it's not always his miraculous wonder working. To me, the bigger miracle in the story isn't that Joshua said to God, hey, can you make the sun stand still? And it did. The bigger miracle in the story is a guy who believed God's promises enough to ask. A guy who trusted that God would be there. A guy who believed that God would fight the battles. And I don't want to throw any of that shade back on Moses, but when he walked up to that burning bush, he had one, not one, but two, not two, but three, not three, but really four arguments against the God of Israel saying, I don't want to do this. I'm not equipped for this. Please send somebody else. And you juxtapose that with Joshua, to whom God said, go, and he went. To whom God said, have courage, and he did. The miracle in the story is a guy who believed God's promises enough to trust that God could always provide regardless. What if the biggest miracle in our lives is not all we can accomplish for God, but just all that we will believe about God and all the prayers that we will pray completely trusting God, always having in mind a testimony. The scripture says so clear that it was written down in the book of Jashar. We don't have the book of Jashar. We don't know all the things that it said. There's another mention of it in scripture. So what we know is that it was a book somewhere, somehow that, that people read and this story was included in it. What's included in your story? What's included in my story? Trips to Brazil are included in my story. And now trips to Brazil are included in my girl's story. A connection with Pastor Israel and Pastor Ezra is in, included in my story of not something that I did, but something that God did and something that we have continued to believe and trust in God for. The biggest miracle in the story is a leader that's operating in God's strength because he believed in God's promises. There's a, a very popular ideology that would tell us that we need to look at passages of scripture like this and assume that we can be a people who name it and claim it. And if we just believe it enough, God will do whatever we say. And if he doesn't do exactly what we say, then that throws back on us that we didn't believe him quite enough. There's even a Gospel Coalition review of that ideology, and it says this, we cannot identify Joshua's prayer based on the promises of God and apply it directly to our day, meaning that we should make those big, bold Joshua sun stand still. Please don't go outside today and ask the sun to stand still, because um, that would mean that it's dark in China for like a whole extra day, and they don't want that. In fact, if you could pray anything, just pray that I would get more nighttime hours. Like, that's what I really need. I don't need more hours in the day. Some of y'all are like, oh, if I just had more hours in the day, I need more sleep. So if you could actually pray that it would stay a little bit darker and that we wouldn't have, that the alarm would come miraculously a little bit later, that would probably be better for all of us. This is not an invitation for you and I to go outside and test the Lord our God and see if we can get the earth to stop spinning on its axis. 
The promise in this moment was not, oh, if you just believe God, you can do really great things like this. The promise of God in this moment was related, John Stark, Gospel Coalition, writes this, was related to God's redemptive promise that was already finally and gloriously fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we don't look at moments like that and say, oh, I need more moments like this. We look at moments like that and say, thank you, God, for working out all of those miraculous moments to eventually culminate by giving us Jesus and then allowing us to look at him as the author and perfecter of our faith. To him be all glory in the church and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him, let us go ahead and put all of our faith and trust and confidence. He's the biggest example that we've ever been given, that God has never left us or forsaken us in the first place, and he's the reason why we can even approach God in the moment and pray any kind of prayer, much less a sun stand still one. God's continuing in this church age today, if he tarries, to write powerful stories in the hearts of believers. And those stories don't have to be, oh, a sun stand still, look at this miracle. The stories can be, look at my faith in spite of obstacles. Look at the challenge that God allowed me to overcome. You have a testimony that goes so much further than how the sun rises or sets or the earth continues to spin. And you, in confidence, because you know Jesus is here and that he's never going to leave, can approach his throne with anything. And beyond that, it's the legacy that you'll leave. The testimony that you have is the legacy that you leave. If you go down to the end of the book of Joshua in chapter 24, it says this, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And not only that, uh, of all the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel. So whether you want to call it that or not, I can ask you today, like, like what is your son stand still prayer? Like, what's the big thing that you know that you're asking the great God of this universe to do? And will you stand in complete trust and, and in total surrender to a God who is able? John Stark continues to write. He's a pastor in New York City at Apostles Church uptown. He writes this. There is a radical faith. Y'all, we are so enamored with the radical faith that says, Son, stand still. But there is just as radical a faith that expresses itself in just faithfulness. Mom and dad who faithfully read the Bible and pray over their kids. The believers who clean up all kinds of messes. The missionary who perseveres in a really small tribe with fewer than 20 people. The elder who never misses an opportunity for ministry. The seminary student who decides to teach an elderly class and preach at The pastor who says no more money in a bigger church and stays at a small place where he labors with the same people in an old building with a cranky deacon board. Great faith may mean that 25,000 people will listen to you when you talk. That seems kind of sun stands still, doesn't it? But great faith might also mean that you just stay married for 67 years and that you raise kids who believe the gospel and trust that Jesus is real and that you faithfully give $50 a month to JMI because you want to see you want to see the gospel go to the nations and you want to see people have food and kids have clothes and pastors be resourced great faith did mean that the sun stood still one afternoon 
but it also means that you can faithfully and consistently for however long it takes beg of the Lord to provide in a way that's unique to you or someone that you love and faith is not more or less based on either and I know that somebody in this room you've got a card that was given to you this morning and it says sun stands still on one side and it says Ephesians chapter 3 on the other what would you write down and, and keep close in that spot for some of you it's that a child would come back to Jesus because you've seen the devastation in the wake of how they've moved away and you're sitting here thinking well that doesn't sound like asking the sun to stand still but it's asking a God who is able to intervene you're asking for a kid or a loved one to be healed and not walk the journey that they're walking with disease or difficulty you're asking the lord for a job you're asking the lord for provision next month because you have no idea where it's going to come from you're asking the Lord that someone who's lost would be found. You're asking the Lord for a renewed sense of purpose because all you feel is hopeless and you're looking around at other believers asking why they seem so miraculous and your life seems so mundane. What is the, what is the big, bold prayer that's specific enough for you to ask and trust that God will answer? And what's your commitment to him to be faithful and to believe in him for whatever his answer is? in whatever timing he provides. Are you persistent enough and consistent enough and willing enough to believe in his promises enough that he's with you regardless and that he's able to do this and more than what you're even asking for? That's the example that we're given. Not of the sun standing still, but of a guy believing God enough to ask. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the chance to be here, to gather in this place and to tell you that we trust you and that we believe you, and also to shout out and say we need you. Would you hear the prayers of our pens and our hearts, and you would respond in a way that proves yet again how very able you are. May we continue to be a people who approach you in faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.